guys, I'm Trish from Mom Jeans and Crime Scenes. I have a really great story for you guys today. Um, but before we get into it, I just wanted to shout out a few people because I have had like a wild amount of support and shout outs and just I am so overwhelmed with people being so kind to me and helping me and yeah, so anyways, the first person I just have to shout out is my youngest little fan. His name is Peyton, and he listens to my podcast. He tells his mom it's his favorite podcast, and I love it. Like, if you knew his mom and Peyton and him, like, I love it. I love the two of them. They're so amazing. They travel together, and they're just like these little buddies. Anyways, Peyton, thank you so much for listening to my podcast I love it. I know that you're listening to it and not watching it, but I am waving at you right now. So if you happen to watch it, that's what I'm doing. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, I wanted to, oh, so my husband was telling me that there is a guy on Twitch. He games and he's also, I believe, um, a law enforcement officer, but he shouts out my channel. So I think that's really neat. His name is Riley. Riley, thank you for shouting me out. That's pretty freaking cool. I love that. So thank you for the support. Um, let's see. Oh, there are so many people that have just been coming into my circle and I love, love, love it. Um, Maureen Mullis, I see you. I see you on Facebook. I see you on Instagram, on YouTube. You are so supportive and I love it. And I'm so excited to get to know you. Nicole Smart, you have been so, since I've started this, you've just been amazing. You guys, there's so many people. I can't even, I can't even name you all. Like, you're incredible, and I just appreciate you. Um, I've had the people from Profiling Evil who have just been wonderful to me, and a lot of you have come from Profiling Evil, and I just am so grateful. I'm so thankful that you're here and that you're, yeah, you're along on this journey and you're encouraging, and all of you are contributing to the conversation so well. It's just, it's amazing, and I'm so thankful. So anyways, I just wanted to start out saying that um, if you are not subscribed, to my YouTube channel, please do that. Um, you can click that like button because that really, really helps a lot letting YouTube know that my video is good and that people should see it. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button, ring that bell, do all those things and leave a comment. Like I said, I love the nice comments that are contributing to the conversation. They're amazing. I love your thoughts and your ideas. So please keep those coming. Um, yeah, so anyways, let's get into it. Okay, so we are going to talk about Lori hacking. Uh, this is also a Utah story. I'm going to be doing um, more Utah stories, but I'm going to start filtering in more stories from outside of Utah and more current stories. So I've got a lot that I'm working on, some cold cases, but today we're going to work on Lori hacking. So Lori hacking was born Lori K. Soros hacking, and she was born in Los Angeles, California, and she was adopted to um, Harold and Thelma Soros. And she was also had a brother, a big brother, who was also adopted. So um, she grew up in Los Angeles area until about 1987, when she was about 10 or 11, her mom and dad got a divorce. And um, first I wanted to say that they grew up in a really strong LDS community in Los Angeles. And her mom was feeling like 
you know, if I'm going to be a single mom, I might have better support in Utah with the LDS community there. So she and Lori decided to move to California. The reason, or to Utah, the reason that her son didn't come down was because he was in high school, he was getting ready to graduate, and then he was going to leave on his mission. So he thought, you know, it doesn't really make sense for me to just pack up and move when I'm going to be graduating soon and leaving. So he stayed behind with dad. And of course, dad missed Lori. Like it was sad for him, but he understood why Thelma needed to go to Utah for some support. So that is what they did. And because Lori and Thelma were here alone, they really like relied on each other. And I think that that made their mother-daughter relationship stronger than ever. Um, They loved each other. (sighs) Lori was an incredible kid. She grew up into an incredible woman. When she was in junior high, she was so motivated. Everyone loved her. She was the class president. In high school, everyone loved her. She went and got a job at a car wash to help her mom with financial burdens. So she wasn't borrowing money from her mom. She just was independent and just wanted to be financially stable on her own. She just was really incredibly smart, bright, just knew what she wanted. And Lori went to Orem High. And the thing about um, that is that Mark Hacking also went to Orem High. Now, Mark is important to this story, okay? But they, they didn't meet at high school. It's kind of funny to me. They actually met at Lake Powell, which is in southern Utah, quite a ways away. So I'm thinking that it must have been like a school trip, maybe official, unofficial school trip, that they were down there as a camping trip. And that's how they met. So I want to come back to the camping trip. But before we do that, I want to introduce you to Mark. Because like I said, Mark is kind of an important person in the story. Um, Mark was born in Salt Lake City, Utah to Doug and Janet Hacking. He lived in a a big family, like his lots of siblings. His parents were, um, his dad was a pediatrician. His mom was a nurse. He had an older brother that was a doctor. Very success, successful, motivated family, okay? And they were, you know, a predominant family. People who knew them, loved them, looked up to them. So Mark had a really great upbringing. People really liked Mark. He had a fun personality. He really charismatic, really funny, always knew how to make people laugh. He had this cute red hair, these little freckles, like everybody loved Mark. He was just really fun to be around, easy to be around. And he just, just, like I said, just had this great personality, smooth talker, everything. Like this kid was going somewhere just like all of his other siblings. So Mark was really cool. Um, He also had a really kind heart, according to everybody. He was just willing to help anybody and everybody. Um, He'd give his own shirt off his his back. Like nobody has, I've never seen anyone really have anything bad to say about Mark growing up, even as an adult. People just really loved Mark. And like I said, Mark also went to Orem High with Lori. However, like I said, Lori and Mark did not meet each other until this trip to Lake Powell. And while they were there, Lori didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to Mark. He didn't, she didn't really, I don't know. She wasn't that interested in him, but I have a feeling he was pretty interested in her. She was gorgeous, like really pretty, just gorgeous curls. Like she kind of reminds me of the actress from Felicity, like those beautiful curls. I can't think of her name right now, 
but she was like in the Star Wars, last Star Wars movie too. Anyways, just gorgeous. Absolutely beautiful. So um, I think that he had his eye on her while they were camping, but she wasn't that interested in... Like I said, um, Mark was kind of a goofball. He was kind of like, you know, knew what to do to get people's attention. And they had this big campfire going. And he was like, well, I need to turn this log, like move the logs around. And instead of grabbing like a stick or another log to move this log around, Mark reaches his hand in to grab the log and he burns his hand. Okay. And this gets Lori's attention because Lori is kind of just nurturing and sweet. And so she's like, oh my gosh, this guy just burned his hand really badly. So she stays up the entire night with him taking care of his hand and they just talk. And like I said, Mark is like a smooth talker. So she's really interested in, in him quickly after that. In fact, she's so interested in Mark that she calls her mom the next day and she's like, mom, I met this guy. He's great. He goes to school with me. And she was really excited about Mark. So Mark and Lori after that, they became high school sweethearts. They were inseparable. They loved each other. They, I think that they kind of knew that they were going to get married eventually. Mark was a grade ahead of Lori. So he graduated first and Lori finished up high school. And then Mark left on his mission to Winnipeg, Canada, I believe is where he went. So while Mark was on his mission, um, Lori decided to start going to school. So she went to Weber State University and then she eventually started going to University of Utah. Um, both really awesome schools, especially Weber State. I might be a little biased, but um, anyways, uh, yeah. So she went to these schools. She's super motivated. She knows what she wants. But she was also having fun with her friends. She'd go out and party with her friends. She would go. Um, they went to New York uh, for the Times Square, like the New Year's Eve thing. And they, from what I understand, didn't even get a hotel room. They just went to, and had fun. Like, she's just living life. But she's an LDS girl. She's very, you know, they have strict rules. And she followed those rules very closely. Um, I think that, you know, in her mind, when Mark gets home from his mission, they're probably going to get married in the temple. So she's, you know, conscious of that. And she's like, not going to do anything that will screw that up. So she's not drinking. She's not using recreational drugs. Like it's good, clean fun. Okay. Now, Mark, while he is on his mission in Canada, he is kind of exposed to a whole new lifestyle. And from how I understand it, Mark didn't spend a whole lot of time with his companion while he was there. But he, as I understand, he was with other companions or other missionaries who were kind of getting into trouble. Like they would go and smoke and they would drink. Um, there are rumors that they were having sex with other girls out there and that Mark participated in all of this. Like, you know, he wasn't thinking a whole lot about Lori while he was on his mission. And consequently, Mark was sent home. And from what I understand, a whole group of, of missionaries were sent home. And, you know, it's not confirmed. It's a rumor, so don't take my word for it. Maybe he didn't have sex with anybody, but that that is what I understand. That's what I've heard. Um, and that was my understanding when all this happened was that he was sent home. And it was maybe because he was sleeping around a little bit. But, yeah. So, he comes back from his mission. And if you come home from your mission, your family's like, you know, you come home early, your family's kind of, that, that's not good. Like, it looks bad. 
it's kind of an embarrassment. And so Mark being the smooth, amazing little talker he is, he's like, oh, I was in a car accident. I was hurt and they couldn't keep me. And that's why I came home. And everyone like seemed like they believed the story. Like, okay, Mark was hurt, whatever. But Lori, I don't know. She was really smart. I have a feeling that she knew that maybe he had been smoking and maybe drinking. Like, I think that she knew that there was some trouble. I don't think she knew the full extent of why he was sent home, but I do think that she had a pretty good idea of why. And I think that she just loved him enough that she was willing to keep that kind of a secret and to just, you know, be okay with it. So, um, yeah, Lori just kind of took that with her. So Mark and Lori's family, they loved each other and they loved Mark and Lori. In fact, their love, you could just tell, their love for those two kids was unconditional. I, all the interviews that I've seen, all the stories I have heard, like this, both families really loved both kids. And I do, like I said, it's, it was unconditional love. There is nothing in the world that could disrupt that love. Um, Mark would go over and he would help his mother-in-law, his future mother-in-law, Thelma. He'd help her um, put the Christmas tr Christmas lights up on the house. He would go play crossword puzzles. They were close. He gave her big bear hugs. She loved him. He was like another son to her. And then also Mark's family loved Lori. Like I think that they were very excited about what Mark and Lori had going. And eventually Mark was like, I love this girl and I want to marry her. So he went to Thelma and he's like, I want to marry your daughter. Will you, you let me marry her? And she was like, oh my gosh, Mark. Yes. Like she was blown away. She didn't even know that boys still asked for permission. And so the fact that he asked for permission and he just, she was just charmed by him. And she's like, of course, like, yes, please, please marry Lori. And so Mark and Lori were married. So Mark and Lori were basically the perfect couple. They were married. They loved each other. They supported each other's dreams. Lori is a hard worker. Mark is dreaming about becoming a doctor like his dad and his brother. Like this guy has this beautiful future and Lori is so here for it. She's so excited. She knows she's going to be a doctor's wife. And while she's a really hard worker, I think that like the idea of maybe someday being able to stay home, raise your babies, like that was charming to her. Um, and so, yeah, she worked really hard, um, sometimes working a couple of jobs while Mark started school. And he started school at the University of Utah and he was going to major in um, psychology. So, like, that's definitely something that he was interested in. And so he would go to school every single morning. He would, he was like, just seemed so excited about this. Um, but eventually, I think that Mark started to, I don't know, fall behind. Something was going on. I don't think that school was going the way he thought. Maybe it wasn't as fun. Maybe he just didn't have the book smarts for it. Whatever it was, I don't think that psychology and medical school was really, like, super reachable for Mark. And so he eventually dropped out, but instead of telling his wife and instead of letting his family know, because his mom was actually paying his tuition from what I understand, he didn't tell anybody that he dropped out. He just dropped out and pretended to go to school. He would pretend to go to school while Lori was at work and he'd just play video games and just do whatever the heck he wanted. And one day his mom called the school to pay tuition, which she'd done many, many times before, and the school's like, yo, Mark's not enrolled anymore. And she's like, what? 
So she calls Mark and I am guessing this is kind of the time where like cell phones were sort of becoming a thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it was a cell phone or what, but she called Mark. The message was intended for Mark's ears only. And she was like, Mark, why aren't you in school? Like she was really upset. But Lori, she hears the message before Mark does. So Lori's like, what in the hell is going on? So she confronts Mark and she's like, you know, I have been going like busting my ass working while you are playing video games all day long. Like what is going on? I'm kind of freaked out right now. And Mark's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. He's just a smooth little talker. And he's like, I shouldn't have quit school. I'm going to go back. Everything's going to be fine. Like, don't worry about it. I'm going back to school. And Mark's able to convince Lori that he's going to go back to school. Lori's like, okay, good. Like, it's going to be okay. But I think, you know, when somebody lies to you, you take that and you put it like in your back pocket. Like, you want to believe what they say, but at the same time, you start to be like, I don't really believe a damn thing you're saying. And I think that Lori was probably feeling that way with him. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure she had to have been feeling that way. Like, I don't, you know, that's a pretty big thing to lie about, but I mean, I guess there could be worse in, you know, so she was like, okay, we'll make this work out. So anyways, I just think that, you know, she, I don't know. I don't think that after that she completely and fully trusted him and I don't blame her. <laughs> so Mark goes back to school and this time he is back and he's like more excited and more determined than ever. He has a ton of textbooks. He is constantly studying. He is working on big papers and he's constantly asking Lori to help him with his papers. Her mom sometimes will help with papers. He is working so hard. He wants to get into medical school as soon as he graduates. He's so close to graduating. And things are kind of starting to get really exciting. And by the time Mark is ready to graduate, he tells Lori, I don't really want to walk with my class. And Lori's kind of like, what? Like, you, you've worked so hard. Why wouldn't you want to walk, work, like walk with your class? Like, that's a big deal. Like, and it's the University of freaking Utah. Like, you want to walk with your class. That's a huge accomplishment. And he was like, ah, you know, I don't want to. And Lori did express to a friend that she was pretty concerned about him not wanting to walk with the class. She's like, do you think that's weird? And the friend was like, no, you know, I don't think so. I don't know. I kind of think it's weird. I would, the bells would be ringing in my, yeah, I would just be like, something's off with that. I don't know. But <sighs> Lori, I think she convinces Mark to walk and he goes and buys a cap and gown. But the day of graduation, Mark all of a sudden gets way sick. I mean, isn't that a crazy coincidence? He's so sick. He cannot, he can't walk with his class. So, you know, Lori's like, okay, you know, don't walk then. I don't know. I think at that point, I would have been like getting a hold of like, all the graduation stuff, like finding out if Mark's name's on that list. Like I would be really concerned at that point, but nobody like really investigated that. I don't know. I really think if I was Lori, I probably, I no, I absolutely know I would have been like, what the hell? And I would have tried to kind of come down to like, why don't you want to walk before you didn't want to walk? Now you're too sick to walk. Like you still got your way and you've already lied to me about school before. I don't know. I would just be a little concerned about that, but Lori didn't seem 
too concerned. Maybe, and like I said, maybe, you know, you don't think when you love somebody that they're going to do like something so major and so bad and these big, huge lies. Like, I just don't think that you think that, you know what I mean? Like you might see the red flags and when you're just so in love with an idea or your future or whatever, it's easy to kind of maybe ignore that stuff. So I got to remember not to like put myself too much into that because, you know, hindsight, like it's, it's my experiences versus hers. And I need, need to remember that, but I don't know. I just think it's weird. I probably would have done that, but she didn't. And that's fine. But he was like, okay, I'm going to go to medical school now. And so this is way exciting. He sends out 11 applications. He fills them out. You know, if you've filled out applications for medical school, it's a big deal. The interview process, all of it, it's all a big deal. And his goal is to get into the University of North Carolina. And I think it's the Chapel Hill um, campus that he's like interested in. Like he wants to be a Tar Hill. Like he's excited. That's his first choice. But he puts out other applications just in case he doesn't get into his first choice. And yeah, things are kind of getting exciting. So he's sent out all these applications. He's gone on some of these interviews. And they find out that they're five weeks pregnant. Like this is super exciting. Um, she just taken a pregnancy test, kind of did the math in her head, five weeks pregnant. She can't wait to announce this to her family. Only a few people know about it. And it's just, I don't know, the idea that, you know, they're, they're going to have a baby soon. Like, I don't know. I think she was like distracted. Mark, he, the fate is on his side with everything. So now he's going to be a dad. But guess what, you guys? The University of North Carolina accepted him in and he is ready to move his cute little pregnant wife. She's going to have her quit her job. They're probably already financially strained as it is. And they're going to move all the way to North Carolina for him to go to school. <laughs> like that's freaking, I mean, that's scary and that's exciting. And I, I don't know, I'd be there for it. But at the same time, like it's, you know, it's kind of a stressful thing, but they're excited. And yeah. On the Friday before Lori disappears, um, while Lori's at work, she, I don't know if, you know, she was on the phone with University of North Carolina, um, if they had called her or she'd called them. But my guess is that she was concerned about the financial part of going down there. Like she wanted to see if they have insurance, you know, they're going to have a baby. I think she was looking into housing down there. I think that she probably had asked Mark to help and he hadn't done what he was supposed to do with all that. So she kind of took matters into her own hands and started calling about that kind of stuff. So anyway, she's on the phone and she gets off the phone and she's super upset. Her co-workers say that they, she basically rushes out of there um, and she leaves work early. Um, and like I said, most people who are like witnesses around there, their understanding is that she was on the phone with the University of North Carolina. So she goes home and she confronts Mark and she's like, what the hell, dude? Like, I just talked to North Carolina. They're telling me that you're not enrolled at the school. And Mark's like, oh, babe, no, 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 no. I promise you I'm enrolled at the school. They just have a computer glitch. They haven't updated their records. I'm enrolled. And I think at this point, Lori's probably like, okay, sure, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, okay, I'll buy it this time for a second. But I don't think she really is buying it now. Now, now she's going to launch her own investigation on Mark, which is something I would totally do because I don't like to be lied to. And once I see one untruth, then I'm like, okay, 
there's more. And I start to dig. And I think that's what Lori did. I think she's calling the University of Utah because he didn't walk with his class. Um, I think that she's, you know, she calls North Carolina again. I think that she's told, yo, girl, he, we've never talked to Mark Hacking. Like, I think that she's starting to get all this little bit of information. Okay. And so through this weekend, I think that she just slowly gets madder and madder and sicker and sicker. Can you imagine you are with somebody from high school? You love them. You think you know them. And then you find out that they're just living this lie. And I'm sure through all of this, she's probably seen Mark manipulate people before because he has that ability to manipulate people. Like he can charm people. I'm sure that she's seen some warning signs that Mark, you know, has that capability. And so you know, she's not dumb. And so I think at this point, she's like, just sick, just sick about what's happening right now in her life. And so um, Lori and Mark, they go to a farewell party at her work. Um, she's only got a few more days at work. So they want to let her know that they, they're going to miss her and that they love her. And she goes, Mark is fine. Lori seems okay. They said that maybe she was a little bit quieter than normal, but for, like there didn't seem to be major amounts of tension. So I think at this point, she maybe started her her little in investigation, but hadn't gotten, you know, a whole lot of information yet to be mad. But um, she seemed fine. In fact, pictures of her, she looks happy. Um, like, I wouldn't guess that something was going on as big as what she was facing and the very last picture of Lori and I think this is so it's just a really weird coincidence there's a picture of her holding a cake and it says we'll miss you like that's crazy because that's the last picture that's known of Lori before she disappears um yeah so I'll try to post that picture if I can find it so the night before Lori disappears on July 18th Lori and Mark go into a convenience store and it's kind of late at night they go into the convenience store. The clerk says that Mark seems happy. Lori, on the other hand, seems like maybe she's a little bit upset about something. There is a surveillance video of the two of them going in together. That's the very last surveillance video of Lori alive. So they go back home. And um, I think at this point, Lori's like really upset. Like she knows something's wrong. He, he did not go to um, the University of Utah. I, I believe that she's done her research. Like, I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but this is just my personal opinion that she did her research. I'm like, I would have started at the University of Utah. Did he graduate? That's the very first thing. I think that she found out he probably did not graduate. I think that she uncovered a whole lot of lies, plus the mission, plus you know, like I said, she, I, I'm sure that there were years and years of funky, weird things that she gathered and she was like, oh my gosh, how do I process this? I am just sick in my heart. So that night, things kind of get heated between Mark and Lori. So when they get home, there's this fight. Like I said, things get really heated and I think that Lori gives him a letter and it's an ultimatum. Now, there, we don't know for sure when this letter was written, but I think the general consensus is that it was written that night and given to Mark. Um, and I'm going to read this letter, but it's basically, it sounds to me like this isn't the full context of the letter, um, like the full content of it. 
Um, it's just like a small bit of it just to kind of give an idea. I've never seen the full letter, but I would really be interested to see what it says. Um, I, I'm going to read what it says, but it sounds like there was some ultimatum put in there for him. But she says to him, I want to grow old with you, but I can't do it under these conditions. She continues to say, I hate coming home from work because it hurts to be home in our apartment. I can't imagine life with you if things don't change. I got someone I don't want to spend the rest of my life with unless changes are made. So it sounds like there's an ultimatum there. And I think that she's like, whoa, like, what the hell is going on here? As you've guessed, you guys, here's the thing. Mark didn't go to medical school. He didn't, or he, of course he didn't go to medical school, but he didn't go to any school. He didn't, he never went back to the University of Utah. He just continued to do the same crap he was doing before. He was playing his stupid video games. Sorry, I'm calling them stupid video games because I am just pissed off for her. Um, I think playing video games is okay. You know, like, if you play video games and that sort of thing, that's cool. But if you're like, that's all you do, like that's, you got a problem. Like you need to, you know, go to school or something, you guys. But like, you know, playing video games, not a bad thing. I play them every once in a while. My husband plays video games to unwind. Like it's not a big deal. But when it is like for eight freaking hours a day and then you go to work occasionally, and I say occasionally loosely because I don't really know. I'm just being super sassy but I mean he worked at a psychiatric unit part-time while he was going to school um but like that's it like Mark did nothing he contributed absolutely nothing else to this relationship Lori was the workhorse Lori's the one pulling them through Lori's the one probably like carrying his lies for him I just I don't know if I was her I would be <sighs> super freaking mad at this point um, and then also another thing is, is that Mark had this like little secret of smoking. Like what? <laughs> I, okay. That's like magician work there. How like that's sorcery. How do you smoke? And then you don't, nobody smells that. Like I remember one time somebody broke into my car because I didn't make sure I locked it. But I remember that that morning, the next morning I got into my car and before I even like got inside of my car. I could smell a lingering of smoke. I don't think they smoked in my car. I think that somebody who smoked sat in my car and rumbled, like rummaged through my car. Um, but I could definitely smell cigarette smoke. Like that is a smell I just, if I'm in a room and somebody smokes, I can smell it. Like, I don't know how he was able to smoke and nobody smell it on him. So I don't know if he was smoking a lot or occasionally, but it does sound like Mark did have this nasty little um, secret. And I'm not saying if you smoke that you're nasty. I'm just saying if you're lying about it, you're kind of nasty. Like, don't be a liar. Own, own it. Own who you are. But yeah, I don't know. I just think that Lori had to have known that he probably smoked once in a while. Maybe she'd caught him smoking before or I don't know. But I just, I have a really hard time believing that they'd been together for so long and she didn't have some suspicion that once in a while he'd light up. So anyways, just kind of a weird thing. I think that Lori was finally like just exploded. I really think that she is so pissed. She went to bed mad and Mark, well, guess what Mark does? Like his wife is like threatening to, to leave him. She is super upset 
And you know what Mark does? He sits down and he plays freaking video games again. Like, come on, dude. Like, your wife just went to bed. Like, she doesn't know if she wants to spend the rest of her life with you. And you're playing your freaking video games? Like, seriously, I don't know. That just really bugs me. But while Mark is playing his video games, he's spewing inside. Like, he's getting so angry. Like, how dare her be mad about me lying? Like, this is all Lori's fault for finding out the truth. And he's, like, so upset because he knows tomorrow morning she's going to get up. She's going to be calling his friends. She's going to be calling their families. Everyone is going to know about Mark's little secrets, all these lies that Mark has carried. And he has worked so hard in a way and she's just gonna ruin this like how dare she who is this woman to ruin everything that mark has done here and so i think at this point yeah mark starts to like think about this like what am i gonna do to stop this because this woman i'm not gonna let her ruin all this for me and so now his account is that he comes across while he's packing up a little bit but this that this makes zero sense to me because you're not accepted into North Carolina. She just freaking nailed you and you're packing to move to North Carolina and you come across your rifle, your 22 rifle. No, 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 bro. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying that I have rifles in my home, but if I did have rifles in my home, I would know exactly where my rifles are at and they would be in a place that are is maybe like locked away. I don't know. I think he knew exactly where his rifle was and he went to his rifle. He got it and he went upstairs while his beautiful, pregnant, amazing wife, devastated, devastated, devastated. And he shot her in the freaking head while she slept. Like that is what Mark Hacking did. I guess Mark thought that this was going to fix all his problems. But really, it just left a bigger problem, right? Because now you have a dead wife. How are you going to explain your dead wife? And so I think that he starts thinking about this. And, you know, we've had, like, people in the area go missing. um, Like Elizabeth Smart, for example. And what, like, how big of a deal that was. I think he starts thinking about Lori going missing. And he starts to like this idea. And so he's like, you know, Lori likes to jog in the morning. This would be, like, this the perfect cover-up. So the more he thinks about it, the more he's like, this, this is going to work. This is totally going to work. She's going to go jogging tomorrow morning. She's not going to come home. Everyone's going to be like, oh, poor Mark. And now I don't have to go to North Carolina anymore because everyone's going to be like, well, Mark's wife went missing. Like, of course, he's not going to finish school. Like his lies are safe now, right? Like this is perfect. So he changes Lori into her jogging clothes and then he's looking at the bed and he's like this is kind of not good this is a mess so I've got to clean this up so he gets out a I think it's a hunting knife like a serrated hunting knife and he takes the the mattress the pillow top on the mattress and he cuts the pillow top off the mattress and he wraps Lori's teeny little I mean she was like 114 pounds soaking wet and he wraps her up and he stuffs her in trash bags and he takes her body and puts her in her car And then he takes, at some point, the mattress and he goes and dumps the mattress in a dumpster by his church, like behind his church. And so anyways, he, Mark is an idiot. Like, let me just, can we just say what an idiot Mark is before we go any further? Like when you think about stupid criminals, 
Mark fits the bill and all the stupid. And, you know, you're going to be like, what? Rookie mistake, bro. But like, yeah, <laughs> he does some really, really dumb things that get him in trouble fast. So Mark takes Lori's body and we're not sure the timeline. I've heard a few inconsistencies on the timeline of exactly when, and this is coming from investigators and interviews and things like that. There's just a little like inconsistencies on it. But from what I gather, Mark goes to the same convenience store that he went to with Lori that night. And he, he's like, I need to smoke because I, that's how I'm going to handle the situation. I just got to smoke. So he goes in he asked the clerk for some cigarettes and there's a surveillance video. It's pretty infamous. Like everyone has seen it. If you live in Utah, I imagine like it was all over the news. Um, and it shows Mark checking his hands and you can only assume that he's checking his hands for blood at that point. So you can just like see him like investigating his hands. Um, yeah. And so he leaves the convenience store and at some point we're not sure if Lori's in the car at that point or if he'd already dumped her I'm not really sure but he goes to um I think it's the psychiatric hospital that he worked at to that dumpster and he throws Lori's body away now I think that Mark like trying to be smart researched the dumpsters okay like when they were going to be picked up this is a Monday morning okay he chose deliberately I feel like he deliberately chose dumpsters that were going to be dumped on Monday, the day that he dumped her. That's just my opinion. I'll tell you why I like, I, that it just confirms it more for me. And I'll explain that in a little bit why I think that, but just kind of hold that in the back of your mind. I do think that Mark was trying to be smart about this, but he wasn't. Um, another thing he did not think about were surveillance cameras. Cause you know, like dump those dumpsters, it costs a lot to dump them. And so you, some people put surveillance cameras on them and there is a video of a man pulling up that night and what looks like he dumps a body in there. It's not conf like they can't, they can't know for sure that it was Mark, but they, they're pretty sure it was, you know what I mean? So it's the resolution of it is not great, but like, that's what they believe that it was Mark who dumped a body in, in the thing, the trash. So Mark goes home. He cleans up the house. He cleans up the blood. He takes the knife. He cleans up the knife. He puts the knife in the drawer along with the letter that Lori wrote him in a drawer next to the bed. But unknowingly, he leaves traces of blood all over the bedroom. He leaves traces of blood and also bits of Lori's hair on the knife. And yeah, I don't think he like notices any of that. He's not super duper thorough at all on anything to do with like the cleanup. I don't know. He just didn't do a very good job. Also, he takes Lori's car and he's like, I'm a genius. So he takes her car and he parks it at Memory Grove where he's going to say that Lori went uh, jogging because that's where she commonly would go. So he parks her, her car there and he leaves it and he walks back home. Now, people say that they believe that there's only one set of keys. Like when I'm listening to different um, op opinions on this. People are like, oh, they only had one set of keys. I do not believe that that's true. I believe that there are two sets of keys. And I'm going to explain that too when I explain the dumpster stuff. But I do think that there's two sets of keys. And I'll get to that, okay? But anyways, Mark goes back home. And like he has set the stage for his wife to go missing. 
So the next morning, or, you know, it, 10 o'clock in the morning on July 19th, still that Monday, he calls Lori's work. And I believe it's around 10 o'clock. He calls Lori's work and he wants to see how Lori's day has been. And so he calls and her coworkers answer and they're like, Lori never showed up today. And he's like, what? What? Like, I don't know why she wouldn't show up. That's really weird. And so he gets off the phone and he calls the police and he's like, hey, my wife went jogging this morning. I was asleep when she left, but usually she goes around five o'clock and then she never went back to work. And he's like, I'm really concerned that, you know, that something's wrong. And so the police tell him what they would tell anybody at this point. She's an adult. She's allowed to like not be around. She's allowed to not be where she says she's going to be. There's probably some kind of a miscommunication. She's probably going to show up. If you haven't heard from her in 24 hours, like, let us know, okay? And so, Mark gets off the phone with the cops. He calls Lori's mom, and he's like, I haven't found Lori. You know, I've called the cops. We're just going to see. I'm going to go check to see where she's at. So, he goes to Memory Grove, or at least this is his story. He goes to Memory Grove, and he says that he runs the the path that she runs. It's like a three-mile run, and he says he does it several times. Um, and does not find her. So really it's kind of an interesting thing because, um, during this time that Mark is supposed to be looking for Lori at Memory Grove or when he says that he's doing that, he's actually at a mattress store because like I said, this guy's an idiot. He decides he, you know, obviously I have to replace this mattress. So he goes to a mattress store and he buys a new mattress And he uses his freaking credit card to buy the mattress and everything, okay? (sighs) Mark, Mark, Mark. Why wouldn't you use cash? I don't know. Why would you even be doing that right now? I just think you're an idiot, but whatever. So he buys, he buys the mattress and the clerks are like, you know, the mattress salespeople are like, yeah, he came in. He didn't want to lay on any of them. He wasn't really concerned. He just wanted to get in, get out kind of situation. So it was just an easy mattress sell for them. Um, so he returns back to Memory Grove and he calls her family and her friends and he's like, Lori's missing. We can't find her. They all come start helping search. And he calls the police again and he's like, Hey, I found Lori's car. It's here. She's not here. Like we really just need an officer over here. And so at this point, the officers are like, okay, if her car is there and she's not, she didn't return to work. This is a little bit more concerning. We need to maybe like up this a little bit and kind of figure out what's going on. So they do send an officer or two over to see what's going on. And they look at, um, they look at the, the car and they see that the car is there. Now I think it's at this point, I imagine that they, you know, they want to see inside of the car to see what that looks like. And they realize that, um, her seat is far back. And I imagine like they would realize this quickly. Like this is the same story I was telling you about with my car when somebody broke into my car because I'm an idiot and didn't lock it. Um, they, they pushed my seat back. So as soon, like I, I opened the car door, I smelled the cigarette smoke and I instantly realized that seat is far back. I'm only five two. So this was like far back. I knew for sure, like somebody had been in my car and I think that they were able to look and be like, yo, a little chick like Lori, and I believe she's about 5'2", five, 5'3". Five, There's no way she drove this car here. There's no way. Because this is for somebody who's about six feet tall. 
like mark hacking. That's really interesting. They don't see the keys to the car or anything, but those could be with Lori, right? Um, yeah. So I think at that point they're just like, hmm, this is a little bit strange. Like why? Yeah, this doesn't really make sense. I think the car is planted here. So at this point, they're like, yo, Mark, can we go look at your apartment? Like, obviously something's wrong. We just want to get some pictures that we can put on the news so we can get Lori's face out there. We can get a search team going. And Mark's like, yeah, of course. Let's go to my apartment. Let's like, let's do this. So he's, you know, Mark thinks he's smarter than everybody. He thinks he's smarter than these investigators. Well, one of the investigators is a lovely female and she is on it. I love it. And I've talked to friends before. In fact, I just had a conversation with another CSI guy about female investigators and CSI and what makes them so good. Like women tend to pay attention to these teeny little details that, you know, men might miss. No offense to men because there's so many amazing investigators for men, but women do tend to really like pick up on things that, you know, a man might overlook once or twice. So, um, so she goes in and they go back into the back bedroom and she real the, one of the first things that she notices is, um, a red purse and it's Lori's purse. And so she looks into the purse and she sees Lori's wallet with her ID in there. And she also sees Lori's car keys. So why would Lori have car keys, but not, I don't know. I just think this is weird. Why would Lori have car keys, but not, I don't know. I, how, how could she be there without her car, right? Or how could she take in her car without car keys? That's what I'm trying to say here. So immediately she's like, this is weird. Now this is where I'm, I want to explain my thoughts on the two sets of car keys. Like I said, I keep hearing everyone saying that they think there's only one set. I think there's two. I think that Mark has his set in his pockets and her set in her purse because I just can't imagine like he, so I think that he drove her, he took the keys out of the ignition and put them in his pocket. I just can't imagine he, he came home, took the keys out of his pocket and put them into her purse without thinking about the purse. I don't know. Like you would think that would be a big clue. So if he indeed did that, like he's a freaking idiot, like even bigger idiot than we all suspected. But I don't know. So I just, I don't, I don't see him like coming home and he's got to clean. He's got to make sure things are okay. And he's thinking about putting her car keys back into her purse. I just don't buy that. So I feel like he had his own set of car keys. She had her own. My husband has a set of car keys for my car. It just, that makes sense to me to be the case. Um, another thing that this amazing investigator notices is that there's this big ass bouquet of flowers, like super, super nice flowers. Now, um, I don't like flowers when me and my husband get into fights and he brings me flowers to make up for it. Like I hate those kind of flowers. Do not buy me flowers because we fought. If you buy me flowers, they need to be like a big bouquet of like pink peonies and it's because you think I'm pretty and you want to make out later. Like that is the only reason I want flowers, okay? And this investigator thinks the same way I do. She's like, this big bouquet of flowers is probably, like, it's not, these aren't wedding flower or like anniversary flowers. These aren't birthday flowers. These aren't, I just, I was just thinking about you flowers. These are, I screwed up so bad. She's like, they were so expensive. So she knew like right away, there had been some kind of a fight. Something had went down. 
And so she's like, okay. So that's concerning, right? And they go in and she realizes that the mat, the bed is made. Um, I think that this is weird. My husband has, I don't think, ever made our bed. So, you know, he was the last one to sleep in it. So the fact that he made the bed, I don't know, that would be, I would be like, did you really? I don't know. Maybe some men, if you make the bed, bless you. But that's just not the case in my family. My husband doesn't make the bed. I usually come home and make the bed when I get home from work. Um, but she realized that the sheets on the bed were like brand new. Like they'd just been pulled out of a package and there was like, no, you know, they still had like the creases. Like it, they didn't look like sheets that you could just slip in. Um, another thing that she noticed was that the the box springs and the bed didn't match. They were different brands. So she was like, okay, you know, that is kind of weird. So she wants to do a little bit more digging on the mattress. So the lead investigator, freaking love her, okay? This woman is a savage. Like, I love her. I want to meet her because I wish I was just, I wish I could be like that because, man, she's amazing. But anyways, so she's like, yo, Mark, can we search your, your can I just look in your car? And he's like, uh, yeah, of course. Like, freaking dummy. Why are you letting them search your car? You're such an idiot. But anyways, he says yes. And he's like trying to cooperate. So he looks like he's innocent. So he lets her, you know, peek in the car. And immediately she sees a receipt on passenger side. So she reaches over and she grabs it and she's looking at it. And she's like, well, this is for a new mattress. And guess what? This mattress was bought today with a credit card. And... It's time to stamp for the same time he called us saying he was searching for Lori. So they're like, that's really strange. Your wife is missing and you're like worried about buying a new mattress. That's not weird, right? So she decides to question Mark a little bit about this. So she's like, yo, Mark, why did you get rid of your old mattress? Like, what's up with that? And he's like, oh, well, you know, Lori had her period and it got everywhere and just ruined our mattress. So I think this is interesting that he blames Lori. Um, he, like, I don't know. I don't know. I think that that's strange. It's her blood that ruins the mattress, which is true. Lori's blood did ruin the mattress. But, like, he doesn't take any kind of responsibility for needing to change the mattress. It wasn't because he was so heavy and left a big dip in the mattress and so it wasn't comfortable anymore. Like, he spilled something. Like, this is Lori's fault. She had her period had to change his mattress I just think that that's really interesting that he would blame her for it so she's like well okay when did you do like when did you get rid of your mattress and he's like oh you know about a week ago and she's like hmm okay then so uh why why did you get a mattress now and you know at this point here's the thing you guys Lori's five weeks pregnant she didn't just have a period like, if she had her period, it was a while ago. She hasn't had a period for a little bit. So why would he, they sleep on this mattress all this time that was ruined with blood. And then all of a sudden, a few weeks before they're going to move to North Carolina, they decide to replace the mattress. Like, that makes zero sense. Wouldn't you just deal with that mattress, just put covers on it, and then buy the mattress when you're in North Carolina so you're not lugging this thing around? Like, the story makes absolutely no sense and it doesn't make sense to her either so um yeah so she's kind of like okay so then she's like well where were you sleeping 
you know, you if you got rid of it a week, a week ago, what have you been sleeping on? Your apartment is like a freaking a mess. Like you can see that you're packing. It's chaotic in there. Where would you be sleeping at? And he's like, oh, we've been sleeping on the box springs. And she's like, uh, nobody. Like, no, 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 no. Lori is not sleeping on the box springs. So yeah, she's not buying this. The next thing she does is she asks him about garbage days. So you know he had to have gotten rid of this mattress. And I'm thinking she's probably suspecting he got rid of this mattress over the night. So she's like, so when's your garbage day, Mark? And his response to her is weird. And this is what makes me think that he was probably um, researching the garbage days. Um, he says to her, the garbage for this grid is picked up on Mondays. So... Grid is like jargon for what a garbage extraordinaire would say. Like not, that's not like a normal, I would never say, oh, our grid is picked up. Like I'd be like, oh, yo, our neighborhood gets picked up on Friday or whatever. But like he says grid. So that makes me think that he has looked at this whole area of different places and he knows when they're being dumped. Like, I don't know. I just think it's weird. So, and it, she also thinks it's pretty weird sorry let me scroll down just a little bit another thing she does because she's a freaking savage I just love her she's like so Mark you guys are moving to North Carolina will you just tell me a little bit about about that like what are why are you moving to North Carolina and he's like oh well I'm gonna be a medical um, student there and yeah I'm really excited and she's like oh you're gonna be a doctor like what kind of doctor are you gonna be Mark and he's like I'm gonna be an oncologist and she's like an oncologist of course like hey I don't mean to sound like I'm dumb but could you tell me how to spell oncology because I'm not sure so he goes to spell oncology but he doesn't know how he doesn't know how to spell oncology and so right away she's like mm, like you're gonna be an oncologist but you don't know how to spell that right so at this point he's like do you think I killed my wife like you don't think I killed my wife do you and she looks at him and this is like the savage in her she's like Mark, I don't think you killed your wife. I know you killed your wife and I am going to prove it. Like I, she's going to come after him. So at this point, he's like, I am so screwed. I am so much trouble. You know what? Like, okay, now he's like, okay, they're already on to me. This is going to ruin everything for me. So now he's got to start thinking about what, what's my next step? Because he, Mark never thinks ahead he's always has to think about his lies on the fly I don't think that he's like ever really thinking about this because what in the hell is he gonna do at med school we're gonna get into that but yeah so I think at this point the wheels are starting to spin in Mark's head about like okay how do I get myself out of this mess that I've already created so at this point the investigators are like we have like enough reason to get a warrant Mark's not allowed in this apartment so he has to go and stay at a hotel. So Mark does an interview Monday evening and it's really, really, I think it's kind of a bizarre interview. And at first, like everyone seems so moved by his little interview, but there are a few things about it that really concerned me. I remember when this happened. I was 19 when this happened. Um, I had just been married not even a year. Um, and I, I just remember like this I don't know. It was just really bizarre to me. It just, her story was one that was like right here in my heart. So I remember watching Mark's interview 
and I decided to pull it up and I rewatched it again as I was getting ready for this story. And it's weird. Like, I remember thinking it was weird. I couldn't remember why I thought it was weird. But, like, looking at it now, I'm like, oh, yeah, it is strange. So, he ha he looked nice. He looked well-kempt. Like, his um, little beard goatee thing was nice. It looked clean. He had a bandana on. He was dressed, you know, he, he was dressed nicely. He didn't look like somebody who'd been searching for his wife all day. Like, I would be a freaking mess if it was me. He just didn't have that appearance to him. Um, and that was something the investigator noted as well. She was like, you know, he's got this bandana on to cover his bald head. To her, that was significant. Like, maybe he's trying to look nice for other women. So that's concerning. And I can see that. Like, I can totally see why she would be thinking that. Um, another thing is, is in his interview, there's a clip. There's this part where he says that he's searching for someone. And he's like, I don't know if she's hurt. I don't, you know, like, blah, 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 blah. But the fact that he says, I'm searching for someone. He doesn't say, I'm searching for my precious wife, my pregnant wife. He, I feel like he just kind of detaches um, Lori, like his, um, he like detaches himself from Lori when he says that. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I thought it was really strange. Um, if I can find a clip that I can put on here, I will play it for you so you can tell me what you think or if I'm just being weird. But I just, I thought it was weird. Um, he does get a little bit of waterworks, but I wasn't convinced. I'm like, I still watch it. And I'm like, okay. You know what I mean? He's just good at lying. He's good at manipulating. And that is exactly what those little tears were. They moved everybody and everyone was like, oh, there's no way Mark did this. He's innocent type thing. Um, but I, no, I just, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's my hindsight talking. I know exactly how this really played out. So I just, am not convinced. I think it was just a weird interview. So if I can get that on there, I will post it. If you're listening to the podcast um, and you want to see the video, come over to YouTube and I will have that video on this video. So definitely, yeah, definitely check it out. Okay, you guys. Okay. So while this interview is going on, police are already, they're pretty sure that they're not really searching for a missing woman at this point. I think that they have a pretty good idea that she was most likely hurt by Mark. Um, they don't have, you know, they don't know details, but I think that they've got a pretty good idea that she's not here anymore. And I believe it's at this point, they've already started checking the landfills. The investigator has already requested that garbage day be halted and they weren't able to fulfill that request. Um, so it's all of Salt Lake that goes to this landfill. So if that garbage is picked up, they're already going to be spending a long time sifting through it, trying to find it. So um, they've started that search. They are in his apartment and they are looking at his apartment and they do come across some things that they're very concerned about. They find traces of Lori's blood or blood that they later determined to be Lori's throughout the house. They find that letter that Lori had typed up for Mark. Um, they find the knife that Mark had used to cut the mattress off. Um, and I, I imagine like I've, you know, I, from what I understand, it was a serrated knife. I wonder if there's pieces of the mattress on there, like, you know, the fibers from the mattress on there still, there was some blood still left on there. And there was also some of Lori's hair on there. So I don't know. Um, I think that that, that knife was really important for them to find. Um, yeah. So they've, they've started to build, there's not enough, they know, they know that they probably have a murder case. There's not yet enough for them to, you know, without a body or a for sure murder weapon, like, 
this would be a really tough case for them, but I think that they they feel pretty confident that they've got something going on. I think they're very confident about the search in the landfill. And then the investigator gets a phone call and she finds out that there's a guy at a ho local hotel that is running around stark naked and his name is Mark Hacking. So they go and they check this out and Mark Hacking is really running around like a crazy person. But here's the thing, he's naked, but he thinks about his shoes. He has his sandals on to protect his feet. Now, Mark worked worked at a psychiatric unit. I think that he has a, a fairly good idea of like what being crazy, like what actual crazy looks like. And I think that he was trying to like kind of mimic that, but he completely misses the boat. People are like, there's no way, there, he's not crazy. If he was crazy, he would not have been wearing shoes. He would not have tried to hide her body. Like there's all these things that show that this man for sure is not nuts. Like he's not crazy. He's just an asshole. And that is what, you know, that is just the facts of it, you guys. I'm sorry. But um, yeah, so they, <laughs> the thing is, okay, obviously Mark's an idiot because in Utah, you really can't use an insanity like an insanity defense like they're it, they're very strict those laws are so strict I think we're just one of a handful of states you just can't use it um he, and he thought for sure that he was going to be able to do that and it's just funny to me because there's just no way and a lot of times when you are insane or if they say that you're not competent to um, stand trial they just give you counseling they give you therapy they work with you until you are able to you know to go to trial so you're competent enough to go to trial so I don't know he just didn't think that through but he was like well you know at least if I'm crazy and I murdered my wife while I was crazy people aren't gonna blame me for it right maybe I just had a breakdown like I don't know he just has this like big grand scheme in his mind and he thinks that he's smooth enough that he can pull this over on investigators pull this over on his family and I think at first it does like he has this little meltdown and um, there's video I love his dad. So his dad is really in the the media. He's talking. He's helping with the searches. Um, and he, you know, he's just sick about what has happened to Lori. You just know he's sick. Um, and but there's some there's a little bit of hope in him that they're gonna find her. And then after this whole thing with him running around naked and being committed and he requests by the way mark requests to be committed he requests to have evaluations done i think in his mind he's like this is a sanctuary it's going to make it more difficult for them to like get blood from me blood samples um it is going to make it tougher for investigators to touch me if i'm here so like that's part of his i think his plan and i think working at a psychiatric unit he probably had seen that kind of thing before so he thought this was a pretty solid thing for him but um after he was committed or whatever you want to call it, after they put him in, um, Mark Hacking's dad, you can just see, you can just see that there's some devastation and he does tell people, and I'll try to put this clip in there too, if I can find it, but he's like, yo, it's so important that we clear Mark. Like he had nothing to do with this. He's just really upset by all of this. And at this point, there's like 1200 people at least searching for Lori. All these people are searching for Lori and they're wondering where Mark is at and they are, nobody's really telling them, you know, Mark is just not able to be here. He's okay. So they're all searching. But by the time it comes out public that 
Mark had this breakdown and was running around naked. Um, the searchers start to dwindle. They even had like, um, I think his name is Chris Smart. Um, it's Ed Smart's brother who is helping with this. So Elizabeth Smart's uncle helping with these searches. Like they had this huge search party. And I think that that support started to kind of withdraw once, um, once it came out that Mark was um, doing some really bizarre things. So it's kind of interesting. Okay, so another thing police start to really dig into Mark's history. They realize Mark did not get accepted into medical school. They realize that Mark did not, in fact, graduate. Like, these are huge blows to the family. You know that they're upset. Um, they, uh, you can just see it. I just feel terrible for his family. Um, and like I said, there's less help. It, as all this information starts coming out, people are like, hey, they're not really looking for a missing woman they're missed they're looking for a dead woman and so yeah th that supports more withdrawn and I think that that sucks because Lori's mom probably felt that void um the families probably started to feel that void and th that lack of support um yeah it's just really sad to me that it started to kind of come down to that um so Mark's brothers um bless their hearts they go to talk to Mark in the hospital and they're like Brother, you got to tell us what is going on. And from what I understand, they go and they talk to him. They're like, just think about it, you know. But we really think that you need to tell us what's going on. And they come back a few hours later. And he sits down and he tells them, hey, I shot Lori. And, you know, he, he confesses to him. And then as I understand it, the brothers actually held on to that information for about a week. Can you imagine your, your younger brother telling you not only did he didn't, graduate his whole life has been this big giant life now he he just shot his wife um his pregnant wife um uh, that'd be really hard so i they could they sat on it for a little bit and ultimately they went to the cops and told them what had happened and i think that this was a big this was a big deal for the the this confession because they hadn't gotten a body yet they hadn't um you know, gotten a murder weapon. So this confession really was going to be helpful to the, the prosecution. So um, that was super duper important for them to have. So Oxygen did this interview with um, Thelma Soros and it really, it's one that just touches you. I love her. I cannot say it enough. I love that woman. I could listen to her talk all day long. She's just the most precious little thing in the world. And she's talking about, um, the, you know, they're talking about the devastation of finding out that Mark killed Lori. And in, in other interviews, I can't remember if it was in the Oxygen interview or if it was another interview that I had seen of her. But she talked about Mark at one point. Um, she went to visit him while he was um, in the hospital. And he grabbed her. And he was, he, and I think this may have been on Oprah, actually, if I'm thinking about it right. He grabs her and he's like, look. I swear. And he's like looking her dead in the eye. And he's like, I did not, I did not kill Lori. I did not hurt Lori. And he is so convincing. And she's like, I believe you. Like, so when she finds out about this, um, about, about Mark really murdering Lori, she finds out about the confession. It's devastating to her. Like absolutely devastating. Like he's, he looked me dead in the eye and he told me he didn't do this. And like, how, how did he lie so easy? Like, how did he lie about all these things so easy? And none of us, none of us caught on. Like, yeah, I think she was devastated. But she, she talks about, you know, of course, that was horrible. This man, 
that she loved and trusted murdered her baby girl and her grandbaby. Like, wow, like how awful. But she said, but what was worse? There was something that was worse to her than that. And it was when she found out that Mark had dumped her body in a garbage and that her body was in a landfill. So when she found out that Lori's body was in a landfill, she she said there was just not not a worse feeling in the world than that. That, you know, Lori was beautiful. She was well-kept. She just, you know, her hair always looked great. Her makeup always looked great. She was always clean. Um, and he just threw her body away with all of Salt Lake City's garbage. And that's where her baby was. Like, can you imagine thinking that? And um, she talked about, you know, you kind of have PTSD after that because anytime a garbage truck would drive past and she'd see one, she'd just be like, oh my gosh, my baby was in one of those. And like, that was really, really hard for her and probably still is. I can, I, I'm sure, I'm sure it's still terrible for for her to see a garbage truck like how could you not I don't think you get over those kinds of things very easily um yeah so they're working on searching for Lori's body in this landfill and it's going to be a tedious job they're they're guessing there's I mean 500,000 close to 500,000 pounds I'm sorry ton not pounds 500 no okay hold on let me try this again 5,000 tons 5,000 tons almost that much garbage they have to sift through and it's like layered and layered and they bring in cadaver dogs this is a big win for them when they bring in those dogs and I love how it's explained when you bring in a cadaver dog so you go into a landfill and it stinks there's no way a human nose could could be able to pull the smell of a decomposing body right but cadaver dogs they're amazing they can pull every individual smell so it's like you know when you bake a cake we smell the finished cake, the finished yumminess. Um, but dogs, they're smelling the sugar that goes into it. They're smelling the butter. They're smelling the milk. They're smelling the eggs. They smell every component that goes into baking that cake. And so they're able to kind of go and hit in some specific places, which gives them an idea of where she might be. But still, this is still tedious. And they have to go layer through layer. They're wearing special clothing. They have to fight through seagulls. The seagulls are really bad. They have to work at night to to keep the seagulls away. It's October. It's still pretty warm outside. So um, a lot of that is at night. And they're going through this by hand. So they will take a layer off, um, a layer of dirt off, and they go through each piece of garbage one piece by one and it takes them about 33 days I believe and they finally they come across Lori um in a garbage sack and you know she's pretty she's in bad shape they only find like 30 some pounds of of her left um yeah it's it's pretty devastating but thankfully they are able they find her teeth they're able to get a positive ID on Lori and they're able to give her body a proper burial. So even though they had already done um, basically a funeral for her, they're able to they're able to put her like lay her to rest. And I think that that's extremely important. I imagine that's important for most people. Um, I think especially with the LDS Church, that's important. That you know, it just gives you I don't know, not really closure, but just that you can say goodbye. Now you have a place that you can go to to be close to them. You know. I have a loved one that I go to her 
to her the cemetery and, and sit with her sometimes and and you just get this peace and I think that that's what this gives them so I'm glad that they were able to find her so the shock of all of this was deep for everyone like I said everyone loved Mark they nobody ever saw this in Mark they never saw him as a liar they saw this charismatic amazing kid and then they find out that that's not at all who Mark was. Like that was all just this like mask that he'd wear. And um, he was really good at it. Like he could just, he lied like it was nothing. And like I said, he even looked at Thelma that one time and he, he promised her, I did not murder your daughter. And she believed him. There was nothing about him that spoke a lie. And he, like I said, he got on the news and he told, he cried. Like he was good at lying and a lot. He was able to pull people's heartstrings and people really believed that he could be innocent. Um, and he did a good job covering it up. Like he bought all the textbooks. He had all textbooks are freaking not cheap. You, you know, he wasn't getting a grant or anything like that because he wasn't enrolled in school. So they're spending all this money and I, I'm willing to bet that his family was probably helping, but he is buying the textbooks. He's got the papers. Lori's helping with the papers. Thelma's helping with the papers. These are papers that he's buying off of like, online and he's they're not even his ideas he's he's buying papers you guys like it's just it blows my mind um another thing that he did is so you know he filled out applications he truly did that um but he didn't send them and he would go on interviews he would dress up there was one time that he actually left the state for an interview it might have been the north carolina interview in fact um and he stayed with friends or family of friends family I don't know but um he went down he dressed up nice he got up early dressed up nice for the interview he left he came back from the interview he talked about each person that he was interviewed by he was very descriptive of who they were what they talked about and he felt confident he was getting into the school like that's like that's elaborate and and he did that like that was mark forever I don't know. It's interesting. So there was a lot of speculation about when Mark started this life of lies. A lot of people thought it started while he was on his mission. He had been exposed to this new life and that's kind of where his lying had started. Um, his mother-in-law believed that it was after an accident that um, Mark had fallen off of a roof when he was about 19 years old and he had suffered some head injuries and he was down for about a month. And she she thought maybe that changed his thinking patterns. Like even after he killed her baby, she still had excuses for him as to why maybe he had started lying. Um, you know, I believe Mark was always a little bit of a liar. Um, he wasn't smart enough or motivated enough to be a doctor like his brothers and his dad. Um, he just, I don't think he had the drive to be as successful in the ways that they were. And, um, I do believe he had the charisma and I think that, um, that's admirable. Like the charisma and the personality Mark had to be able to get people to like you. And I think that is such a neat characteristic and just a trait. That is something I would like, I want to be like that where people are like, Hey, I, you're easy to be around and I totally love you. And that's like who I want to be. And I think that Mark could have gone so far with that. Who cares if you couldn't be a doctor? Who cares if he couldn't, you know, do the things that his brothers and sisters were doing? Mark had this unique talent to him to make people laugh, to make people feel good. 
he could have been a great salesman. He could have been super successful. He could have been a lawyer maybe. Like if he had used those abilities to do good, I mean, there is so much that Mark could have done. And I just, it breaks my heart to think that he chose to use that charisma, to use that personality, to lie and be deceptive and um, con people. And I truly believe that this is something that he was like his whole life. I believe that he started lying young and he's just so good at it because I just don't believe that all of a sudden he's like, okay, I'm not going to go to school anymore. I'm going to start smoking and get kicked out of my mission or whatever it is that he does. I don't think all of a sudden he just decided to start lying and be good at it. I just, I feel like this is probably something that he was started to be good at and practice his whole life. So Mark was a good liar, but he was a terrible murderer. You know, I feel confident enough to say that this is probably the first person he had murdered because he made so many critical mistakes. Like, you know, the mattress, he didn't clean up thoroughly. He'd let investigators come in before he was able to, like, I don't know. He just did all these things that I felt like he was trying to make it look like he was innocent, but really it just like made it worse for him. Um, this timestamps for the phone calls and the buying the mattress. Um, yeah, he didn't think about surveillance cameras catching him. Um, and then I think the biggest tip off honestly was the car and the keys and the seat being back and the purse, all of that stuff. You know, the investigator was like, Women don't go anywhere without their purses. I probably wouldn't go jogging with my purse. Personally, I would not leave my purse in my car, but I would definitely have my ID and my keys with me, maybe in like a little fanny pack or something, but like I wouldn't have my purse. So that part wasn't so weird to me. It's the fact that her ID was in there and it's the fact that um, her keys were in the purse that to me were a big deal. Um, let's see. So yeah, Mark was arrested for Lori's murder. Um, even though he did admit to murdering Lori, he ended up pleading not guilty at first, which was pretty terrible. Everyone was like, why, 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 why? Now you're going to drag everyone through this horrible thing and this trial and it's going to, it's going to be emotional and expensive. Like, why would you do that? But eventually he was facing capital murder charges. And in Utah, if you're facing capital murder charges, the death penalty looks pretty good for you. So he wised up and he ended up pleading not guilty later on. And so they dropped some charges and gave him a little bit of a lesser charge to just first degree murder, um, which could carry a life sentence. So he was ultimately sentenced six years to life. And I remember thinking six freaking years, like all the abuse and then murdering her and he could get out in six years. And they say that that's like a technicality that like nobody's really gonna get out at six years, but it's just the fact that what if, what if in six years they're like, oh, Mark was such a great liar in prison and we all believe that he's found Jesus or whatever the hell he wants to say and then he's out. So I don't know. It always bothered me. The whole six years to life type thing really, really bugged me. Um, and it definitely, it bugged Lori's family and it really bugged Lori's dad. And so he worked really hard to get a law passed and they call it Lori's Law. And so now when there's a murder like that, a first degree felony, the sentence, the, the sentence that you get is actually 15 years to life. 15 years sounds way better than six years. I still think 15 years is kind of crazy, but um, yeah, so th that 15 years to life just, it does sound better. And so I'm really glad that they worked hard because I think that's going to, that definitely has helped 
other people and other families to be able to deal with these situations a little bit better and not feel like they're being slapped in the face. Um, Mark is going to be in prison for a long time. I don't even think it'll be until like, I think I read it was like 2033 or 35. I can't remember. I'll have to find the date for sure. But, um, he's not going to be out for a while. He's not eligible for like any kind of anything for a while. So that's good. That makes me feel better. Um, and I hope that they keep him behind bars forever. Okay, you guys, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I absolutely love Lori's mom. I love Lori. I love the families, the hacking family and the Sora's family. I, my heart is with them. I hope one day I get a chance to meet Thelma Soros and hug her because her strength is amazing. Every interview I've seen of her, even now, man, she never says anything bad about Mark. She doesn't say anything bad about anyone. She's just what you would picture Christ to be like or what Christ-like means. Like that, she just, she just has that. And I admire her and I, she's somebody to work towards being like, you guys. Like go watch her interviews and you just feel this love that this woman still even has. I think she does love Mark. I think she's hurt. I think she's angry. You can be hurt and angry with somebody and still love them. And I think that she does. And I think that, that you know, that's true for his whole family. They, they love him. They're disappointed that he made such stupid mistakes. It's, he's a terrible man, but he's loved. And, um, man, I just, I don't know. It just makes me so sad. I, you look at Mark. There's people like there, like him out there who are so charismatic, who are so good at lying. And you see these little warning flags and this abuse that you don't even, some women don't even realize they're being abused. They're being sucked into these abusive relationships because they're blinded by a bigger, a bigger picture in their minds of what could be or what might be or whatever it is, or maybe they're scared, whatever it is that keeps them in these relationships. And, um, just, it reminds me to, um, reach out to you and if you feel like you're in that relationship or you feel like somebody that you love is in that relationship there are ways to get help there are ways to get out of the situation there are warning signs please 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 be educated please 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 go in and look into what these these things are like these signs of abuse are because I I don't know some people just don't recognize it or don't want to recognize it and so I don't know. I'm going to put some hotlines again, like I did with um, my last video, so that you, if you feel like, you know, you need to call somebody or if you want to reach out to me, there are so many amazing people out in the world. There are people who love you and want to see you happy and safe. So don't ignore these warning signs. If you're, if you feel like you're married to someone like Mark Hacking, I'm not saying he's going to murder you. I'm just saying that like, those are not good situations, whether you end up murdered or not. Those are not good situations to be in. If you feel like somebody is consistently lying or manipulating you, and um, I promise you that you recognize that that's what's happening. I promise you that you recognize it. Don't, don't put those feelings away. Make sure that you you're smart about it because you're important. Your life is important. Your happiness is important. And I don't want to tell these stories. I want I want eventually to like just go into cold case stories and that's it. Like we're going to solve all the cold case stories and not ever have to tell another sad murder story again. Like that would be like, wouldn't that be the dream? So yeah, I just, I love you guys and I want you guys to be happy. Um, I did want to talk before I go though, a few things. 
So I was thinking about Mark, and man, him and Martin. So if you guys um remember, I a while ago I did Martin McNeil and Michelle McNeil, and I was like blown away by the similarities between Mark Hacking and Martin because there's a lot. There's a lot of things that are really, really similar. Like they both lied about going into medical school and doing all that. They they were both leading secret lives that were just not true. Neither one of them went to school. Neither one of them are doing the things that they said that they were doing. Um, they both of their wives, this is another weird thing too. Both of their beautiful wives were raised in LDS families, LDS communities in Los Angeles area, and then moved to Utah. So both of their wives were Utah transplants, but they were born into the church. Um, what else? Oh, they had, they were both born into big families. That's just crazy to me. Like there's so many similarities between these two men. And I want like maybe one day we can like really deep, like go deep into that and like the psychology of it all because it's strange. Um, but it's weird because Martin on one hand, so he, he was born into this big family. His parents were largely not there. Um, his siblings were not successful. I mean, it, his life was a complete mess growing up, according to Martin, okay? And so because of the failures in his family, he was like, I have to be successful. So he lies his way to success, right? Because he can't be what his family is. Like, he doesn't want to be what his family is. Then you've got Mark, on the other hand, huge family. Both parents are extremely supportive. His siblings are very successful. And because of their success, he feels like he has to be successful and he has to be that. And so both of their little deceptions and lies ultimately lead to the murder of their wives. I don't know. It's just really interesting, the psychology of that, because, you know, you always think about their environment and all these other things that go into, like, what creates somebody to murder another human being. And this whole time I was thinking about Martin and, like, it had to have been something with his upbringing, right? But I mean, then you look at Mark and Mark had a great upbringing of a great family. And, and um, he still did the same thing as Martin. So it's like, what what is it? I don't know. It's really weird. I really want to dive into that and really think about that more because it's weird. But anyways, okay, this has been really long. And thank you. If you're still listening, bless you. You're amazing. And I appreciate your support. Please remember to subscribe if you haven't subscribed like this video because that helps me a whole lot out like this tells youtube like yo her videos are cool like let's keep them coming um yeah ring the bell to get the notifications leave your comments um what your thoughts are about the mark hacking case maybe i missed something that i should put in here that you thought was interesting or what your thoughts are maybe you have thoughts about the whole martin mcnill and mark hacking similarities you know tell me what you think so I'm going to um, put the Martin McNeil video, I think, on here too um, so that you can watch that to tell me what you think if you haven't already seen it. And anyways, <laughs> thank you for being here. I appreciate it. This was really long, but I appreciate you guys. Have a good night.